0: Welcome, folks. Welcome, welcome. Back to the sloppy lab. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Welcome back, everybody.
0: So we have a fun one today. I honestly wasn't sure. I've kind of like went back and forth whether we would have five minutes of content or like two hours of content and uh, we'll see what we end up with (laughs) on this one.
1: I was kind of like thinking, man, I don't know how much we can talk about this. And then you started giving me some of your ideas about what you had in mind for this and that kind of like... Stirred some things up a little bit, gave me some ideas, uh, got some help from the Sanctimonious Discord channel today with some data, which was nice. So I, I think we definitely got some good stuff today.
0: Yeah, I'm excited, and uh, and you even put together kind of a, this uh, 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 survey here to get get some get some opinions, and I'm look, just looking over it. Very very curious to see like the spreads that we got. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Today we're talking about uh, luck, still skill and deck. Um, This was a topic that was uh, kind of brought about initially by the Timeshapers podcast folks, so Roar and Texlet, back in episode seven, I think think it was, yeah?
1: I think it was seven, yeah, great episode. If you haven't listened to it, you should definitely listen to
0: it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll I'll be putting the uh, putting a link to that that episode in our show notes. I'm sure, I'm sure our audience is uh, very familiar with their work. But hey, you know, absolutely. Um, so yeah, uh, great great listen. And we're going to be kind of building off that, riffing on some of the stuff there, revisiting some of the topics, and then folding in some of our own ideas. Um, so so really cool. Um, and probably briefly worth just recapping what we mean by luck skill deck. Um, uh, so, uh,
1: I think you have a couple of announcements first. Oh, <laughs> we have two more. You want to start those first?
0: Yeah. I think, you know what? We almost need a, a regular segment of, uh, stuff not tonight one since the last time we talked.
1: I was, was going to make the same suggestion. <laughs> so this it's week, crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: This week on stuff, not tonight one, uh, congratulations to our teammate not tonight. Uh, for uh, coming in the top four of the Polish Grand Champs. So very cool, very exciting. They had a great turnout. Uh, she went undefeated, completely undefeated in day one and uh, and finished in the top four of the event overall. Uh, Sounded like an awesome event. Huge congrats to her, absolutely.
1: In-person Keyforge, forging IRL. Um, pretty awesome, I did some IRL forging last weekend too. Uh, not at a big event like that though. So that's super cool that they could do that. And congrats to her on a, a really strong finish again.
0: Yeah, and we had one other teammate there who um who survived, uh, <laughs> in his own words. That was his word. In his words. <laughs> so congrats to Crusader for surviving, uh and get you know, getting to go out and play some uh, some Keyforge IRL with Not Tonight and some other uh some other folks who are kind of familiar from around the the uh Discord verse of of Keyforge. So I know Cavell was out there. Um uh, a few others that I'm probably not going to pronounce so <laughs> correctly, so I might not try. But names you'd recognize on site for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, the the event was largely supported by Team Can't Touch This, which is a Polish group, which we kind of stole a few of the members from into sloppy lab work. Mm-hmm. Um, so really cool that they have like a active community engagement like in person too. Whereas um, you and I are spread out geographically. Um, so is now in Stereo. We all are. So we don't really have the chance to do like a in-person sloppy lab work kind of event. So it's really cool that they could do that in Poland.
0: Yeah, very cool. We have a, we actually have a decent number of not only states, but also countries covered. So pretty pretty cool.
1: That is true. Yeah, pretty many cool. miles.
0: Indeed, yeah. indeed.
1: Um, there was another announcement you want to make about the um, NKFL. Is that right? Yeah, you know more yeah. about the NKFL
0: yeah so uh they're starting a new event series and i'll i'll put some uh more details to this in the show notes as well but this is going to be an uh eight event series and i think that they were debating between a league structure or a one day tournament structure i'm pretty sure that they landed on single day events uh for these but there's going to be four uh four archon events uh, one dedicated to each set uh and then another four. So the first four are going to be uh SAS cap uh, capped at 80, and then the second four are gonna be unrestricted. Um, so yeah, should be fun. If single day events are your jam, I encourage you to check it out. should be well attended. It uh, looked like there was a lot of interest and excitement kind of there. Yeah, yeah.
1: if you wanna hear more about our thoughts on SAS cap, you can watch last week's episode.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. We didn't
1: talk about 80 SAS cap though. That was a little bit higher, so interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh without going too far, it's uh, that's definitely one that feels to me like we're trying to kind of call the monsters as opposed to really shake things up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Definitely gonna be some really good decks in that that range as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. Cool. So All right. Lux skill deck. Lux <laughs> skill deck. Hopefully I haven't missed any other announcements. <laughs> I think that was it. Cool.
1: I'm gonna start watching
0: cool cool uh, so yeah luck skill deck and uh, you, you maybe I'll explain this better than I um, but uh, I'll give it I'll take a pass here So really the idea is that uh, when you kind of sit down to play a game of Keyforge, Forge um, there are these three components that go into determining who's gonna win right so there's luck am I getting more more or less lucky than you in this game there's skill am I playing more skillfully and then there's deck you know is my deck just inherently better? better or worse than yours or better suited for whatever we're playing and i think we're going to generally assume assume archon um when we're talking today so we're, we're kind of talking about the good decks uh, not your reversal monsters as it were um and yeah. yeah
1: that sounds about right and one thing i also wanted to say is like these are kind of vague terms in a way like maybe like one person plays better in some ways and maybe not as well another way these are kind of just guidelines it's it's not supposed to be a perfect science. And I think especially like when you look at deck, there's obviously matchup as a consideration too. Um, someone could bring a great deck and play against a bad deck. Maybe the bad deck has a good matchup and it can win. So like this isn't like a perfect science kind of thing, but it's a really interesting exercise, I think, to consider it. Because I think when you go into Key Forge, like when I first started, I know I did this, you have a very preconceived notion about how um, the meta and how the whole game itself is going to, to shake out. Like... You think about pre-constructed decks like this and you think well someone's just going to have the best deck and i'm not going to be able to win and and that's it but then you dig deeper into it and we'll talk more about this too you you realize there's these other aspects to the game as well um and i think the results we got from our survey kind of show that there's not like total agreement on how big each of these are and i think that's a really good thing um it's kind of a mystery still in, in a lot of ways
0: yeah i think the fact that there is mystery is kind of a testament to the depth of the game and uh I I know I get very excited about kind of looking at uh, looking at this idea and peeling things away when, when you can start using those insights to kind of uh, ask, you know, ask whether there are decks better suited for formats like adaptive. I know that's one that we'll, we'll hint at maybe towards the the end if we kind of get there. Um, But, you know, one of the, one of the kind of debated topics in the game is, you know, can there be a deck that's better suited for adaptive than another, or, uh, you know, a question that we might get to uh, is it ever right to bring a swingy deck, you know, um, uh, so yeah, kind of- I kind think of,
1: we might have a whole episode about um, like what makes a good adaptive deck, you know, like there's a lot we could say on that. A lot of people have some pretty strong opinions on that too. Um, so I see you're sharing the the data here that I put together in, in a very ugly format. I tried to make, in, in typical sloppy lab work style, I tried to make graphs and charts and uh, it just wasn't coming out right in the sheets so I don't know. I, I need some more practice. Um, but I still think there's like some cool things that we can take from here. Um, I just put together like some of the basic stats at the bottom. But um, you'll notice that people generally put luck a lot lower than I expected. I definitely thought we would get a lot of people saying like luck was a bigger factor. When in fact, the highest percentage anyone attributed to luck was 35. And if you look at the other two, skill and deck people attributed that in some cases up to 60%. Um, So definitely, I didn't expect there to be that many comments saying that luck was that small of a factor, but obviously when you're dealing with a Discord who is so active and like dedicated to the game, if it was very high in luck or if they thought that, then they probably wouldn't still, you know, necessarily be here or be as active as they were. Um, skill is is an interesting one at 60. Um, I will give a spoiler, I actually, put it scale at 60, I, that's where I, I thought it was. And um, you kind of talked about like when you start and you kind of like start to learn the game's depth and see how much it has. And I I just remember a number of times when I've been playing this game and learning things that like the more I learn, the less I know, you know? Like mm. I, I watch some people like Not Tonight and Now in Stereo Play. And if I'm watching them with like the hands open or something like that, it's just kind of like sometimes I just shake my head like I have no idea like what, they're like doing almost, but it's a a good thing. Like they just can sometimes play like players like that on a level that I haven't really like thought about. And it's really interesting. And like the more times you see that, you realize like, man, I thought I was like, I thought I had this game down, you know? And then you see some crazy stuff and you're just like, there's just so much more depth to it than you thought. And so that's kind of a big reason why I put skill as high as I did, because just it's, I don't think the game gets the credit that it's due from other gamers. I think they definitely think that it's more luck and more deck. Um, but then when you play it and you learn and you see how much depth there is, and especially in the later sets, um, it just, to me, is like, man, I mean, we're just kind of patting ourselves on the back. Cause we love this game, but like, it's <laughs> to me, it's like, it's highly underrated as far as how much skill is involved in this.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree. I, I would put, I'm going to shamefully admit that I, I, I want to admit to the teacher that I didn't, uh didn't know we were supposed to put in our own answers, you know? I didn't
1: take, so I never would have known that.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, but, I, uh, I think this is a, It's an interesting breakdown, right? Because I think there are absolutely thresholds and, um, this is, this is a kind of a great metaphor to tie in because, uh, I'm a squash player, much like Richard Garfield, also key forge player. Right. And I think, uh, if I'm going to make a really bad sports analogy, you know, squash, Squash and tennis are kind of great comparisons here, and I'm going to explain that. Which is, tennis is just an abysmal sport to play if you have no idea what you're doing. Um, whereas squash, you can kind of make do. And I think there's, uh, I think there's like this, this is like zero to sixty, like zero, like getting up and running reasonably well. You can do passably in keyforge without tons of skill. Like you can feel like you're playing the game, like making stuff happen. Um, but getting, the, getting over the um, getting kind of to like that mastery level really, really is kind of skill intensive, super skill intensive. Um, and so I, I put I put skill very highly on a breakdown like this um, because I think that uh, the margins that a games are decided by are almost always you know very 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 often uh, drawing from that skill button a skill button a bucket. Um, to comprise that margin, right? So, yeah.
1: So if you had done your homework, what would you have put here?
0: I would have put probably, I probably would have put skill in the 50 to 55 range, probably deck in the mm, 35, 40 range and luck very small, whatever's left over. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Interesting is that I, I was the first response on here. Um, I just wanted to do it before I, I uh, shared it out. So the very first line there is mine. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing just now that I had the lowest, and I was the only person to put deck <laughs> below 20, and I put it at 15. I used to think that, um, you know, the deck was, you know, almost everything. You know, I would have put deck at probably 40 or 50 a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think maybe this is just kind of how I interpreted the question, and I realize, I totally recognize that, We asked this question without very much context, and that was by design. And I just kind of wanted people to say, like, okay, in an Archon format, what do you think about this? And I didn't really want to put too many qualifiers in, but one of the things that I was considering is that if if we're thinking about Archon decks, think about, like, a high-end tournament where everyone's bringing a really good deck. If everyone's bringing, like, their best deck they have, that's when I would put deck at about 15 and maybe mm-hmm. that's not fair. Maybe I just misinterpreted my own question. Maybe other people interpret it different. But like it, that's different than like coming to a casual, you know, um, chain bound event with your locals, where you might bring an 85 and someone else brings their best deck, which is like a 70. And then deck's going to have a bit bigger of an impact there than it would. Um, but I was kind of thinking it in terms of like one large event where everybody knows they're bringing really good decks, and you've got good decks against good decks, and then like how much of the rest of it comes down to to skill and luck. And so that's kind of where I came from. But um, I don't know, interesting that I, I just saw this now that I had the lowest number there for deck, that's all.
0: It's uh, your skill shining through, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: uh, I'm, that's what I like to think, but um, yeah. maybe maybe someday we'll have a segment, what's a quick draw win this week? But <laughs> I don't think that's happening anytime soon.
0: No, it uh, is it is interesting though, and I think, I think you make an excellent point. Like for, for each of these, we're kind of assuming... And uh, I see kind of wow, one star peeps, five star games making a similar comment um, uh, in the chat here. That there's there's sort of a, a baseline that we're assuming, right? We're, we're we're taking for granted that folks aren't going to come and you know call a house, discard and pass every turn, and then say, well, it's obviously all skill, right? Um, you we kind of assume some level of of ability uh, with the game, some level of like. Uh, Uh, baseline, baseline quality for decks that folks are bringing. Um, So I think kind of in that world, I, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm much more inclined to agree with you. Um, And especially, especially in, if we branch out a little bit from Archon into formats like, like Nordic Hexad where you can uh, do some lineup shaping and, and some avoid, avoid more of these like really bad matchups where you might, might just encounter a rough bounce on a matchup in a, in a one deck Archon. Archon Solo yeah. type event.
1: The Hexad is like to an extreme, but we can use Triad as a more like relatable example for people that have played Triad and maybe haven't played the Hexad before. I haven't played the Hexad. To me, I look at it, it's very complex. Um, but when you're adding in extra decks to the mix like that, you're actually kind of, I think, combining deck and skill and you're like putting in some extra because, you know, making the proper ban or in the Hexad format, like a proper safe is definitely a skill. Um, but since you're also bringing more decks, you're also increasing the Uh, Importance of deck when you have like an event of that size or, uh, you know, you're bringing that many decks at one time. Um, So it does kind of change the equation, I think, when you're talking about more than one deck in these Mm -hmm. other formats. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we talked about um, Newton a few weeks ago and like Newton, I think, tries to neutralize the deck aspect of it. And um, you're still going to have some luck in game luck, but, um, you know, there are different formats that will kind of favor some of the lock skill deck and some of them will try to mitigate others so um there's definitely ways to kind of find what suits you as a player um maybe if you like deck maybe you like to play chain bound archon or something like that i'm you know i'm not sure but there's definitely different formats i think that are catered and like trying to to solve this question
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and i see a I see uh Zodid has a question in the chat too. Um kind of how we how we account for, you know, good matchups versus bad matchups. Um, how does that kind of fold into play here? Because there certainly are there certainly are good matchups and bad matchups, right? And I think you could you could walk in with your Heart of the Forest X against the zero the zero R, no exalt kind of like a uh, kind of thing across the table and just say, Well, this doesn't feel like a fifteen percent um fifteen percent deck um yes, decided matchup like,
1: i used to i think deck does kind of comprise the matchup as well but like maybe in the case of like heart versus noir maybe that's luck i don't know could be a little bit of each um i don't remember if the time shapers podcast specifically addressed that mm-hmm. um, but it is definitely you know another one of those kind of gray areas in this conversation um to think about that but um oh let's one star peeps five star games wants to talk about uh luck in chess um you can get lucky if your opponent makes a mistake um chess to me i i used to play a lot of chess when i was younger um i played a bit through college and it's a great game i think if you're not like a top table player like a grandmaster (laughs) but i think when you get to that level the game becomes to me less interesting um you know it's not quite uh, maybe it's solved technically but it doesn't seem like it'd be that much fun, and we talked about this, I think, in our first or second episode, where like a good game should have a little bit of a luck factor, and KeyForge has that, and I think that's a good thing to keep people interested in it and kind of keep things um, changing. Whereas in a game like chess, you have perfect information, and the only thing you don't know is what your opponent's going to do. But if you're at like, if you're both like grandmasters and you're in the high top tables of a big tournament then you can generally know what your opponent's going to do especially in the opening game after a couple moves you can see what's going on so to me like i i just love having some luck involved and i don't i don't want to get luck to zero some people might like intuitively Mm -hmm. think like luck is bad you know get it out of there make it all skill but um then you'd end up with something like chess which could make it a little bit less interesting in a lot of cases
0: yeah having having an element of luck and i'm going to say i i don't uh I don't know that I would call, you know, oh my opponent made a mistake, uh, luck in the sense that that we mean here necessarily. Um, I I think of it as, you know, here when we're talking about luck, we're we're saying okay, there's there's a random variable at play and it bounced my way or didn't bounce my way, um, uh, sort of sort of thing. Um, my opponent makes a play mistake. I'd put firmly in the in the skill camp. It happens. It could be uncharacteristic for a strong player, um, uh, but I'd still put it in the skill camp. And um, and you know I think yeah maybe I gave you time to think while I put the R, the R, uh, heart of the forest hard R question to you uh, or myself time to think while I put the question to you but um, there's there's kind of this uh, I think I think when we consider luck skill and deck we almost have to do it sort of at a macro level not at like an individual matchup matchup level um, I think you have yeah. to zoom out and kind of look at the game as a whole uh look at kind of matchups holistically as opposed to individually um and and this is kind of like i don't want to jump jump ahead too much um but uh but i i think that it is very interesting to consider luck skill and deck at a micro level like at an individual matchup level um but for here when we're talking these percentages yeah i think we're we're kind of zooming out past the scope of of like well there's a bad matchup, it might happen. Like, sure, but there's also no free lunch, so you're gonna get the other side of that coin at some point, Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, there was a point in um, the Time Shapers podcast when Techslut suggested maybe adding style to this. Mm -hmm. And that like, to me, got me really thinking. And I actually, I kind of agreed with it and I kind of want to talk through it with you and see kind of what you think about that. Um, Would you consider style to be um, like already a part of skill Or is it something that's maybe, like, separate from that? And, like, to kind of, like, set the table a little bit for you, um, I guess what I'm also wondering is can two people play the same deck with very different styles and both be playing correctly? Like, both be playing well? Like, maybe this person likes to um, just continuously wipe the board and just, you know, or is there, like, does each deck have a, especially in a specific matchup, does it have a right way to play it? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that there are, uh, there are like objectively correct plays in a given situation. I don't think that there's necessarily um, an absolute correct way to play one deck every time. Um, now, I think that some decks uh, lend themselves to to certain styles, if you will. And when I I, I actually re-listened to this episode today, kind of. Getting mentally prepared for uh for having the discussion now and i really liked texas point on style and how you know how does that fit in and kind of when i think of style in this way i think of um you know a player having intuitions that or inclinations that most often line up with things that are correct for that that are decisions for the correct for the deck um and that can fold into skill in the sense that um uh, uh in the sense that you're you're taking that as sort of a short a shorthand for kind of these deep things and maybe it's a maybe it's kind of uh, something that you've gained uh, um, uh, through practice or experience. And that's something I would fold in, though I'm not sure Aurora would have agreed in the episode. Um, and then I think there's a flip side, which is um, uh, the things that I find fun. I'm going to do more often, but they're not necessarily correct. And that's kind of the other element of style. And that's one that I would kind of uh, carve out as is something different. And I think you can you can kind of decide like, well, am I going to lean into my intuition and that's maybe correct or incorrect and that falls into skill, or am I gonna lead into what I think is fun because I'm playing a game, but not necessarily putting that in the luck skill deck kind of uh, categories no yeah I that was my if take we're playing,
1: if we're playing for fun i feel like it's a much different question than the Skill deck you know there's there's an, a whole other variable involved if you're trying to have fun you know mm-hmm. um but i like there might be more than one correct way to play a deck but i wonder also like if you're talking about a specific matchup like say i'm playing my favorite deck versus your favorite deck we both know these decks well we know each other's decks well i might know the best way to attack yours uh and vice versa Does that mean that, you know, that is the only objectively right way to play it? Or does that mean that, like, someone else could pick up my deck and see a a different line? Maybe, (laughs) I don't know. Like, it's, it's, obviously, it's not a perfect science. But I, I wonder, too, if, like, style and, you know, Dinobot was asking what styles are there. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. But, like, some people like to play the board more. Some people like to just play all their cards. Um, I think archiving is a huge topic that we could talk a lot about with skill. Mm-hmm. Um, to me personally, I, I think archiving decisions could come down to style, um, could come down to a lot of skill, um, knowing what to archive and when and when to pull it. Um, I have a deck that I played against you a couple weeks ago um, for the Newton match that has two very different avenues. It can go down with the archiving. It can either archive a lot of uh, the unfathomable creatures and wait for like a wait for them to spend their board wipe, and then you pick up like eight creatures and play them all. Or it can archive a bunch of stuff, including data forge, and then try to pull off a big data forge, something like that. So like, I think those are different styles, um, but they're also very skill intensive decisions that you have to make on the fly, like as you go through a game. Um, So I'm I'm not sure, like that's kind of like a good example in my head of a deck that um, might cater to two different styles and could, could be correct either way.
0: Yeah, I think there. I mean, there could absolutely be strong strategies. I'd i probably argue in favor for there being an, an optimal or maximal one, or at least I can, There's no reason you couldn't have multiple maximal styles or optimal styles. I'm I'm uh, uh, having flashbacks to all of my classes on like reinforcement learning and and <laughs> training training models for these things where like you. Sp- may spend a lot of time believing that you have one maximal strategy and then d- d- decide that there's another and there could be there could be competing maximums but um it's it's interesting and especially in a game like keyforge where you know it is a race and 11 turns is 11 turns and if you can get there with the data forge on turn 11 versus forging with key key three naturally on turn 11 by a decisive margin like those are kind of both in the uh in the like you did it camp (laughs) um so like they they both got you there um yeah yeah
1: um can we i guess like take that archiving topic and maybe like shift over to consistency because you and i had a lot to say about consistency i think when we were Mm -hmm. chatting about this earlier um and consistency is like a way i think we both see it as a, a way of uh minimizing the luck element because consistency you're either Uh, you play a deck that might always be able to consistently do the same thing. And that way you have that kind of variable minimized where sure you're going to have some luck at the draw, but at least you know that you're always going to kind of run into the same situations or you have like a way to, to play to your outs. So like you have a few good examples of your decks that you thought had different types of consistency, right? I did.
0: Um, Yeah. A couple, one, one that was a recent open that I'm uh, enjoying experimenting with currently it's, you know, very efficient, uh, you know, not tons of expected amber, um, you know, plays plays very grindy, but has sort of this inevitable, like I'm gonna archive a whole bunch of things, going to purge a whole bunch of your stuff, and we're just gonna kind of grind to, grind to the, the same kind of end game state each time. And, and uh, you know, the, f- the first five turns might look different, but the second five turns often look very similar. Um, and, and so even though, you know, I'm going to be playing maybe a different creature with Kirby, I'm still going to be, um, I'm still going to be kind of setting up these, uh, game states that converge on, on things that look very similar. And it does it by your, your kind of typical high F, you know, play lots of things, uh, archive lots of things, um, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, typical strategy. So you see that big big number in the speed box, um, this is kind of doing that thing. And the reason I like the other as sort of a foil a counterexample um, is it actually has a negative negative F score. Um, But still, I would argue maybe even a more consistent deck than the one that I just showed. Um, And it does that uh, more through kind of redundancy and relying less on, on synergies. So this deck's really just kind of like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live and die by the Delta. I'm going to play out my pips. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of get more or less the same value from each card that I'm playing each turn. And I'm going to kind of do that for seven turns, and that's going to be the game. And that's kind of like what it does. And you might get a different three cards on turn three in one game than another, but they, they play out very similarly, and you kind of see that amber progression look very much the same game over game.
1: Do you think that has anything to do with this being a Coda deck? Because you know, how I, I kind of feel Coda decks are like, a lot of times they're very straightforward, like play cards, get value. Yeah, this
0: time, you know? this is definitely the like, the like, hey, I have lots of pips, I'm not going to really worry about the board a whole, whole lot, um, Coda deck, where that's, that's kind of what it's doing. Um, now, that's not to say that there aren't, uh, there aren't important decisions, especially, especially uh, in the current meta where creature control is kind of at a premium, you know, you do find yourself at times chaining yourself with the spirit's way because it is such a crucial card. And you do find yourself scratching your head and saying like, okay, how am I going to like deal with the Otoack when it comes? Cause I need to have a plan for that, or it's just going to shut me down. Um, so there, there are, there are important decisions and I, I don't want to kind of uh, belittle it too much. Um, but uh Yeah, no, I didn't,
1: yeah. I didn't mean it really as a negative thing. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, but it's interesting because I think I ta- kind of talked about how, like, when I first started playing, maybe I would have put skill a lot less, and maybe that has something to do with, with Coda. Maybe during Coda, maybe skill was a smaller factor. I think the cards were a little bit simpler, a little bit more straightforward. Um I just, on the other end of the spectrum, for me personally, I love Dark Tidings so much. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason is because there are so many complex cards in there. There's so many intricate de- decisions to make. And I think that's probably a big reason why I put skill as high as I did on the scale today. Um, so, you know, that's just one extreme to the other, I think Coda to Dark Tidings. Um, interesting that you you showed these two decks, like one with the efficiency of the archiving and the, the um, speed, and then one with the redundancy and the consistency. Um, I, when I was trying to think of two consistent decks, did the exact same thing as you did. Um, I have two mass <laughs> mutation decks, one of them has um pretty good amount of archiving with an auto encoder it has a ton of draws with um armory officer Nell, two transporter platforms and a ton of upgrades um so if we look at uh that one first um it's uh abelson it it um it it can really get rolling with consistency if like it finds the auto encoder anytime like the first half or so of the deck Um, It's kind of a grindy deck as well, like the two effervescent principles. It's got the Garcia with two platforms. You can really like kind of delay things a lot until you can get set up. And then once you get it going, like you said, it's, you know, the first five turns might look different. But then after that, like the end game is pretty similar. Um, It can draw its deck a lot. It has the uh, auto encoder. Um, The library card is not usually a major factor in here, but like there's a lot of games where with auto encoder, you can just kind of get it rolling. And then from there, it's like every turn is big after that. Um, So this is very similar to your first example, I think, where it's got very high speed, um, a lot of archiving stuff and and just drawing and playing cards. Uh, And then the other example is Scoundrel Grigorov, which is Mm -hmm. sort of like the same as your combi groove, where it is consistency through redundancy. It is a negative F as well, I think. And it is just like five board wipes and a bunch of big creatures. And you just, (laughs) you know, carefully have to use your board, but you generally know that you're going to be drawing creatures and board wipes pretty much every turn, so um I just thought that that was interesting that we both kind of went towards the same different like ideas of consistency when we looked at our decks
0: hmm yeah and uh and i I think it's also worth noting too that you know high efficiency doesn't necessarily mean high consistency in the deck. I think I've seen you were remarking before too that there are plenty of plenty of high efficiency you know typical logos packages. Uh, type decks that that do feel swingy that you know maybe sometimes the efficiency lines up perfectly and you chain your IGORs and it feels like you're flying through the deck or you chain your Lithologicas and you fly through the deck and other times it's you know you hit a roadblock and, and it feels like a completely different deck yeah
1: yeah I, I think I kind of see efficiency is like lumped into one number but I, I think drawing and archiving are two very different types of efficiency and I think the drawing I would tend to think the drawing has more luck involved with it and the archiving has more um, the skill involved with it. So if I see a high F deck, I'm more interested in it if it has archiving as opposed to just like a bunch of draws or um, maybe the milling even too. Like the archiving, I would much prefer to have with my efficiency.
0: Dinobot saying, looking at you, Ultra Graviton. But Dinobot, did you realize that this deck has animator and transporter platform too? extra Ultra Gravitron shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, you,
1: I've seen you like pull off some crazy stuff with that one. Didn't you say you've played Gravitron twice in a turn a couple times?
0: Oh, yeah. And the and the really fun thing, too, is the Gravitron has a capture and a draw pip. So you often in the turn uh, with, yeah, 10 cards and archives, maybe more if you've also played your Cronus, but also um, also a couple of captured Amber on the, uh, on the uh, Transporter platform itself, which is... Uh, Actually, Very funny.
1: Really sweet to have a draw pip on the Gravitron because Mm -hmm. if you're flying through your deck like that and you have a chance to play him twice, you might archive like the last three in your deck and then you Mm -hmm. can platform him back and then you draw pip to flip the deck and then archive five more. So that's a really useful draw pip on him there.
0: It is funny. Really funny. But yeah, cool stuff. Cool stuff.
1: Um, I think there was another point we wanted to talk about before we got to a game. Um, and the game is actually a really cool idea. We we talked about like how do we play a game to kind of illustrate this, and I think what we landed on is pretty nice. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on
0: with the I, skill draw? Uh, I let's deck? see. We're we're kind of going going a little bit long, but I wanted to just tee up one thing for when we kind of segue this into a conversation down the road about adaptive uh, adaptive decks, and that was that was actually something that completely independently came up on the Timeshapers uh, Discord earlier today and it's the idea that uh luck skill and deck are not necessarily uh independent of one another um and that's not to say that like you know one deck is inherently lucky although i like maybe believe that denizag is i don't know (laughs) but uh but that they have maybe different decks have different relationships with luck um and then that can uh that can kind of have an impact with how the luck and skill impact gets distributed, especially under chains in an adaptive setting. Um, but I have some very sloppy, uh, I have some very sloppy charts that I'm going to pop up on the screen here. This is interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, you
1: showed me <laughs> this. I I didn't want a full spoiler because it was like I thought it was really good stuff, and so I'm eager to hear more about it from you now.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is this is kind of laying, just kind of laying. I mean, it's going to sound very very simple when we talk through it, but going to be kind of laying foundation for for some, some other stuff we talk, talk through. Uh, yeah, oh, we, <laughs> but the idea is like, well, we talk about, we talk about deck and we quantify deck strength very often just in with, with SAS, I mean, and we talked a lot, a lot about SAS, uh, last week, but we say, oh, my deck is an 85. My deck is a 70, it's a 65, whatever. And it's very easy to like get into the mindset of like my deck strength is one number. And and the idea was like, well, no, maybe maybe your deck is actually a random variable that has some that has some kind of distribution, and I uh, have this really fancy probability density chart here in front of us, and it's got you know unitless axes with kind of strength on the on the x-axis and then the probability density on the y, and the 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 idea here is that you know uh, I'm kind of plotting how likely my deck is to achieve different strength values, right? And, and maybe I've got some, some mean value here that's right around 75 made-up units. You could think in terms of SAS if it helps you um, just to kind of make the bridge, but uh, maybe my deck punches at a strength of 75 most often, and I think I even yeah have some others to, to layer into. But on a given day, you know, we could talk about luck as choosing a random point underneath the curve and saying, like, well, that's what your deck's going to punch at, with the shuffle right and so at a micro level um we kind of see a relationship between deck which is kind of this curve and each deck's going to have its own curve and its own shape and luck which is me choosing like i'm going to draw uh, a luck line and say okay maybe my deck can get up to 100 on a good day but you know with the shuffle right now it's punching at an 80 level 80 you know and maybe if i shuffle shuffled differently or if i had roll differently when you know hitting with my barb mine barb i'd be landing right around 50 or something right uh, but it gives us a natural way to talk about consistent decks right a consistent deck you'd expect to see have a uh have a graph that's kind of kind of narrow and and one one solitary spike um maybe uh a consistent deck that's a little bit less strong but has kind of a similar uh similar profile might be this 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 yellow one over here it looks like it's got a similar profile but yeah you see it kind of left shifted Um, so kind of two curves roughly about as about as wide Um, one one kind of farther up the scale than the other and you know maybe when the blue deck here rolls an 80 well there's not really a great way for yellow jack to achieve 80 and uh, no matter what no matter what uh Yellow deck lands on the luck scale. It's just going to have an uphill battle, and maybe that's how that's how kind of uh, how it's going to be that day for yellow deck. Um, but there's opportunity. It's definitely possible that you know blue deck's going to roll something in the in the 40 range, and yellow deck's going to roll something in the in the 50 60 range, and you have an interesting game. And then we can talk about skill as being kind of an ability to nudge up or down depending on how things land. Um, but I, I I think it's kind of an interesting kind of kind of way to frame the idea, and uh, gives you kind of another way to talk about what an inconsistent deck look like looks like. So maybe if this is a reasonably consistent deck, maybe your combo deck looks like like this red one here, where there's a spike on the left side where you didn't really hit your combo, and then a spike on the right side where you did. Um, and now I think it's uh kind of the the payoff down the road is like well what does this mean for uh for deck selection for different formats like adaptive or for events like um like a bring any deck you want each round newton where maybe you you want a spiky deck if you're like hey i'm facing quick draw and i just kind of want to like eliminate the the skill portion you know or or, or something (laughs) um
1: i i love this because i you know, in thinking in approaching this episode and this this, this topic, I always thought of deck as like a, a fixed variable. And then you started talking about like maybe it's more random or it's on a sliding scale, and that like I didn't hadn't considered that. And I thought like, well, no, that's not really that's not really what we're talking about. But then you kind of explain it, and I can totally see this, and it definitely does change. You know, it, it I think it changes how you think about the luck skill deck because if a deck is not just like this singular fixed thing and it can change then it it makes a complex question even more complex but it's not wrong either it's like i think we should be thinking of it like this because as we all know you know you can have uh you know a really good say like 85 sas deck and you might be able to beat like something that you know won a Voltor. maybe you have a game like that but mm-hmm. then you turn around and you're like planning at someone who's goofing around with like a 65 and, and the competitive queue and they like crush you and like that happens you know like it, it definitely has a range and it's not just matchup based. You know, it's, it's about how well your deck um, can put things together and maybe sometimes it's, it is matchup, but sometimes th- there's the luck. But it's hard to kind of have the discussion of deck as like a, a sliding scale like this and separate it from, uh, from luck, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely reframes how you think about it when you look at like the different range of outcomes that a deck can have
0: mm-hmm yeah absolutely and I do think that this is very like like if there's the kind of micro macro scale this is kind of like we're looking at specific matchups perhaps like it doesn't you know when you talk about a curve in this way you really have to have two decks in mind um it's it doesn't make as much sense if you're kind of zooming out in the way we broke down kind of luck skill deck into different percentages before um but but interesting interesting nonetheless and some hopefully yield itself to some interesting thought experiments yeah
1: yeah um there was so much discussion in sanctimonious today it was really cool to see and i think a lot of people had some interesting takes on it too There was some really cool stuff that was said in there um, i don't have any quotes offhand but there was one that kind of like piqued my interest because it was something that we were already talking about discussing in the future um it might have been around adaptive i'm not sure i, I don't remember what it was but uh, i did see a comment that someone kind of came to a conclusion and i was like haha so like we had a very similar conversation to that and i think we're going to talk about it in a couple weeks so um i thought that was really cool that everyone got so engaged in this topic um back from the time shapers discussion originally when they did this episode originally i thought it was probably one of my favorite episodes that they did i thought it was super interesting
0: yeah definitely a good one definitely definitely cool well then